Hey, good morning, everybody. What's up? If we haven't met yet, my name's Alex. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Life Church Livonia. And I just want to say welcome to the last week of our current series, Like a Good Neighbor. This series is designed to help us lift our eyes up off of ourselves and live missionally, fulfilling God's greatest commandments and his great commission. The great commandments being to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And the great commission being to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thus far in this series, we've looked at like a good neighbor, we uh, keep God first. And then week two was like a good neighbor, we walk towards the needs around us. Week three was like a good neighbor, we grab a corner in prayer. Because we can help people, but only Jesus can heal people. And then last week we talked about, like a good neighbor, we begin to notice and talked about the power of incarnational listening. And this week we are ending with, like a good neighbor, we're going to give what we got. And here is the big idea I want you to grab a hold of this morning. A glass can only spill what it contains. More on that in a moment, but I want to take just a moment right here at the beginning of the service to ask you to either reference your Frank list if you have one, and if you don't have one, I want to encourage you to write one right now on a sheet of paper. Get that F-R-A-N-C. And um, next week on the 18th, we're putting on a Livonia Cider Mill event at Church in Person. And this event is designed to bless our community. We want to see the people in our community uh, come to know Jesus. And we want to do something that is a gift to them. So we're, we've got bounce houses, we have a cider and donut truck, we have face painting. And this event is meant to be a kid-friendly, family-fun environment. And living in Livonia, we, don't have, we have to drive 20 to 30 minutes just to get to a cider mill. And so we're trying to bring the cider mill to us. And in regards to the Frank List, I want us to do three things in combination with that event. Thing number one right now, if you haven't made a Frank List yet, I just want you to ask the Lord with me, God, who in my circle of influence are you working on? And you want me to be praying for. And then just begin writing down the names that come to mind. What friends, what relatives, what co-workers, what family members. I want you to make a point to invite some of those people to church, to this event this coming Sunday. So I know there are going to be some people from my list I'm inviting. And I want to take a moment to pray for both a divine appointment to make that invitation this week. And I just want to pray for them as people. So I encourage you as I pray for my Frank list, substitute the names for your people. But Lord, I just want to lift up Weldob and Jenny right now. Lord, they have had such a hard go of it. And I pray that in the midst of the tumult of their lives right now, that you would just bring them to you, Father, and that you would uh, soften and open their hearts to your love. Lord, I pray over Josh and Jordan and Tammy and Kyle and Matt. And Jesus, I just ask that you would open their hearts to love you with everything that they have, Lord, and that they would feel and receive your love for the very first time. Lord, I pray over Eric and Andrea and Matt and Taylor and Dominic San, and God, I just ask that you move through me to bring them to your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you would set up divine appointments this week so that I might make invitations to this Livonia Cider Mill event next week. And we just pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we've covered a lot of ground in this series, and today I want to finish with the very last line of our key scripture. This whole series 
has been rooted around Mark 12, 28 through 31, which says this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So throughout the series, we've talked a lot about loving God. We've talked a lot about loving our neighbor. But we have yet to look at those two simple words, as yourself. What does the Bible mean when it says to love ourselves? What are some of the dangers to avoid as we try to understand and apply that? And then finally, how do we do it? That's going to be our roadmap for today as we look at this scripture. What does it mean to love ourselves? How do we avoid the dangers involved? And then how do we do it? So this sermon, I just want to say, is not a magnum opus on this topic. This topic is so deep we could do a whole series on it. And personally, I feel like I have a lot to learn in this area. And so this is not going to be fully comprehensive, but I'm going to give you what I've got on this topic today because I want to help us just create some functionality around fulfilling the greatest commandments to love God with everything and love our neighbor as ourselves. When we love God and love others, but we omit that line as yourself, it's impossible to keep the commandments. Like take Kathy, for example. Kathy is a perfectionist. She's hard on herself when she makes a mistake. Really hard. She thought it was just a quirk that came out mostly at school and work and that it was mostly beneficial to her job and she saw it as a positive thing in her relationships. But she and Derek have been married for less than a year and they're really struggling. He tells her that he feels trapped. Every time he makes a mistake or doesn't meet an expectation in the way she thinks it should be met, her harsh response wounds him deeply. He feels like a constant failure. And most of their conversations revolve around her correcting him. Her lack of grace for herself has affected her most treasured relationship in a painful way because a glass can only spill what it contains. Then there's Daniel. So Daniel cares deeply for people. He's someone who shows up when people are struggling. He goes the extra mile. He has the emotional phone call. He really takes loving others seriously. However, in the name of loving well, Daniel often overfunctions for people, doing things for them that they really can and should do for themselves. And when Daniel begins to get close with a friend, he starts expecting them to overfunction for him too. This, of course, asks more of the friend than is appropriate and healthy. And the friend burns out. And Daniel ends feeling resentment and hurt and alone because Daniel didn't give himself boundaries. He expects other people not to have boundaries with him. And he does it all in the name of love. You see, a glass can only spill what it contains. And then there's Courtney. I resonate a lot with Courtney. You see, Courtney is a hard worker, a really hard worker. She often puts in 10 to 12 hour days just to get ahead and stay ahead. Her boss praises her to the rest of the team and she's looking at a potential promotion in the near future. But her boyfriend is less encouraging. He complains that all she talks about is work and 
her lack of availability and her time and her emotions and her mental headspace is really beginning to take a toll on their relationship. Courtney cares about her boyfriend deeply, but honestly, she feels like his desire to pull her away from work is a bit of a weakness of his. Only people who are willing to work hard and be all in can rise to the top, and she doesn't think he understands that. She wishes her boyfriend was a little more high capacity and a little more willing to put in the work and make the sacrifices that she's willing to make. Courtney lacks limits and is only willing to receive love when other people lack limits with her. You see, a glass, it can only spill what it contains. And then there's Josh. Josh's friends would describe him as stable, dependable, unwavering. But Josh's daughter would describe him as stoic. She's never seen him cry, even at her mom's funeral. And even a smile isn't a daily occurrence. She knows her dad isn't a feelings guy. And that's not always a problem. After all, he's a good listener, but he's also just unavailable. There's a part of him she can't reach. And when things get difficult and life is hard, he's either disconnected or he explodes when the pressure gets too intense. She loves her dad, but she wishes that he taught her how to deal with her own feelings instead of leaving her to figure it out for herself. You see, a glass can only spill what it contains. Now, you may have resonated with one of those folks, and maybe there's another issue that I haven't talked about yet that you resonate with. But what I want you to hear is that whatever is inside of us is all we have to give to our neighbor. We give the energy we have, the contentment we have, the peace we have, the love we have, and the brokenness we have. The depth of love that our cup has been filled with is the depth of love we can give to others. If we think we can give love to our neighbor without deeply receiving God's transforming love for us and in us, we are setting ourselves up for some painful relationships with chronic problems in which we are the common denominator. Now, as we explore what it means to love others and to transform out of some of these brokennesses, we have to build what's called an integrated theology. Say that with me. Say it to your neighbor. Integrated theology. That, you guys are so good at that. And what that means is simply this. There are many topics in which the Bible doesn't talk about that topic all in one place or all in one scripture. It talks about it a little over here and a little over there and then again over there. And, and often it talks about the same topic from different perspectives. For example, Proverbs talks about the needs to set limits with our children and Thessalonians talks about the needs to not only have limits for our children but love as well. And when we can weave those things together across scripture, we develop an integrated theology. So today we're going to use multiple scriptures to understand what Jesus is talking about when he talks about loving ourselves. Now, there are two categories of self-love that we see both in scripture and in our own experience. First, there's the actional, and then there's the emotional. In scripture, there's the actionable, and then there is the emotional. These are our two big categories today. And so we're going to start with the actionable. One of the things I thought was so interesting as I began to study in scripture what it means to love ourselves is that that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, comes up a lot of other times in scripture. And one of the things that blew my mind is it comes up most in reference to the law, meaning the Levitical law and the Ten Commandments. 
For example, let's take a look here at Romans 13. It says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And what I find amazing about that is Paul is separating the action of love from the feelings of love. And what he's saying is that when we uh, look at the Ten Commandments, these are things we want for our lives. I don't want to be murdered. So when I don't murder other people, that's showing love to my neighbor. I don't want to be stolen from. So when I don't steal from my neighbor, that's loving them the way I want to be loved. I don't want people to lie about me and bear false witness against me. And so when I don't lie about other people, slandering and gossiping, I show love to my neighbor the way I want love myself. And let's take another look at, this one's in Leviticus 19. It says, Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I'm the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Do not rebuke your neighbor. Or so, so because of that, rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone else. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And again, we see these things where, where God is saying, listen, you don't want people to hate you. And so when you don't hate other people, you're loving your neighbor the way you want to be loved yourself. You would hate it if an injustice was done against you. Therefore, do not pervert justice against anybody else. And I find this amazing because going back to week one, when we talked about what a commandment means, remember, it's not just a law or an arbitrary rule. Commandments are God's rules for life that allow for human flourishing. And so what this is saying, what these scriptures are saying is what it means to love my neighbor as myself in an actionable way is that the flourishing I want for my own life is what I need to extend to the lives of those around me. And Jesus sums this up perfectly when he says this in Matthew 7. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus is talking about loving our neighbor as ourself. That the things that we want done to us, we should do to other people. And the things we don't want done, we should not do to other people. So that's the actionable side of loving our neighbor as ourself. Because the word for, for uh, love there is agape. It's a sacrificial, actionable love, not just emotional. And, but then there is an emotional side to love. We all know it. We all feel it. Self-love is defined in emotional terms as an appreciation of one's own worth or value. An appreciation of one's own worth or value. Now, there's something I find fascinating about worth and just economics in general, right? Worth cannot be determined in isolation. Worth only gets determined where there's a relationship between two things. So, for example, if we had never discovered gold, we would not assign any worth to it. You know what I mean? But because we have a relationship with gold, we know where it is, we know how to find it, that kind of thing, 
we now have a relationship in which we ascribe value to it. And the other interesting thing is that things don't have worth on their own. They're not self-declared worth, right? So for example, if you found a piece of gold, how would you know what it's worth? It wouldn't be like, oh, it says right on there, $1,700 per ounce. Wow, that's convenient. <laughs> no, you would look at the market and go, okay, what's go going for right now? What are people willing to pay for it, right? Or even take like land or lumber or even a house, right? You wouldn't walk up to a house that someone carved $85,000 into the side and you go, that's what it's worth. Can't be worth more, can't be worth less. We know painfully right now that the housing market fluctuates like crazy, right? So worth isn't defined in isolation. Those things rise and fall in value that we assign to them. Similarly, similarity, similarly, is that a word? Probably. Our worth and value is not self-prescribed. Our worth and value as people, as human beings, is given to us by God. And we see his value for us in two clear ways. In Genesis 1, when he is done with creating the whole world, he looks at everything he's made and goes, oh, that is so very good. That is so very good. Describing all of creation as good at its core. And on the cross, as Jesus hung and refused to get off for our sake, we see that God treats and views us as more valuable than even himself. We were made as human beings to receive both God's very good and his, uh, his beloved, you're enough. That those spaces in our souls exist and our cup without them is empty and was made to be filled by the love of God. With no water, we cannot fill ourselves. We need something else to fill us. Bernard of Clairvaux puts it this way. He says in his book, Loving God, that there are four degrees of love. The first one he says is, we love ourselves for our own sake. You know, I want what I want, so I do things that make me happy and feel good. <laughs> I want to be happy, I want to feel good, and so I do stuff unto that end. He says stage two of love is that we love God for his gifts and blessings. And this is what happens when we come to an awareness of God's saving love for us. And we go, God, you have treated me as more valuable than even yourself. You have given yourself for me that I might have life with you. And, and then the beginning of that relationship is, oh Lord, I love you because you hear my prayers. Oh God, when I prayed for this, you blessed me. Oh Lord, I wanted a spouse and now I have a spouse. But as we start walking with God in the long term, we inevitably hit a wall. And that wall forces us to transform from just loving God for what he gives us. Because now it's not just blessings, it's suffering too. And God invites us into the cross of Jesus Christ that we might be crucified with him and raised again. And as we make it through that wall, we begin to love God, not just for what he gives us, but for him who he is, that Lord, you are good without me. You are glorious without me. You are beautiful without me. Lord, you are full without me, that you alone are so inherently good. And we begin to love God for who he is, not just for what he does for us. And then Bernard says this, the fourth degree of love is loving ourselves for the sake of God. This is the highest degree of love. For Bernard, was, it was simply that we love ourselves as God loves us, in the same degree, in the same manner, and with the very same love. 
We love the self that God loves, the essential image and likeness of God in us that has been damaged by sin. What Bernard is saying is the final stage of love is not only do we love God for who he is, but we love the things that God loves, and that includes me, and that includes you. Bernard says this is the most mature form of love. However, when God's love is not the source of our worth and value, and when we find our cup empty, we enter a dangerous place. And as people find themselves having been poured out and trying to refill, I as a pastor have just seen so many mistakes people make that really damage them. And I want to vocalize some of them here so we don't fall into them. So I want to talk about, move from talking about what's the definition to what are some of the dangers. The first danger is we use God to run from God, right? So we can confuse self-love for selfish love, a self-preserving love, right? Instead of seeking alone time with God, I seek isolation. You know, and I'm isolated from God and I'm isolated from people. Jesus got alone, but Jesus got alone to be with the Father, to be refilled by God. You know, and this is right before he, he, uh, he right after he heals, I'm sorry, not heals, uh, feeds the 5,000, he um, goes up on a mountainside and is just alone with the Lord. And then he comes down and re-engages with his disciples. This, the second way we use God to run from God is we think to, myself, to ourselves, I don't need to love my neighbor until I love myself sufficiently. Right? And we, we live under this mindset that, well, the hungry can wait and the thirsty, you know, I don't need them and I don't need to visit anyone in prison and any needs that aren't my needs, I just don't need to pay attention to until I feel full. But with the same feeding of the 5,000, Jesus was trying to get away to rest and he got interrupted by 5,000 people. And rather than treating that with bitterness and going, you guys, no, I have a boundary, get out of here. Jesus sees that God is coming to him in that and inviting him into something. And Jesus joins God in what he's doing, and then he goes off to get the rest he was looking for initially. So the reason that this is using God to run from God is in the name of loving ourselves, we stop loving God and our neighbor. And we do that through isolating, and we do that through selfishness. These are not godly things. <laughs> we try to fulfill the great commandments by disobeying the great commandments. We use God to run from God. That's danger number one. Danger number two is we can get into a place where we are denying our own brokenness. Because we aren't receiving our worth and value from God, we try to manufacture a love for ourselves through self-help mantras, through narcotism, which is just like a numbing of myself. We're trying to fill ourselves with these other things and, and kind of manufacture a love for ourselves. I'm perfect just the way I am. And we see these things on Instagram and Facebook all the time, right? You know, if you're the people you love are asking you to change, they don't really love you, <laughs> that kind of thing. Or, you know, I'm enough and I don't have to do anything differently to be enough. Or I'm powerful and I'm worthy and you should treat me with more value and respect. You know, these, these kind of self-help mantras that bounce around social media. This positive self-talk may make us feel good, but at the end of the day, no relationship can survive if I feel like I don't ever have to change for it, right? We, we know that. And if I feel like you need to treat me with all this respect that I haven't actually earned from you, again, like no relationship can survive that. And I understand the importance of 
trying to help people have a positive self-image, but my argument is that that comes at its core from God, not from just us talking ourselves up and sacrificing relationships in the process, right? Again, we end up just denying that we're sinful and we're broken and we actually do need to change. And that's okay. That doesn't make us less worthy in the eyes of God because of Jesus. That's okay. One of the other dangers is, on the flip side of that, we can create a codependent relationship. Because we aren't receiving our worth and value from God, we try to get it from those around us, right? So if the first one denying my brokenness is, I detach from everybody over here, and I'm like, great, I'm just going to fill up over here. At some point, I'll start filling. Ah, another, another mantra, another self-help book, it'll start coming in. But we can't get water without the source. Right? And the codependency is this. I go, okay, I poured myself totally out into you. Now I need you to fill me up. I go, okay, yeah, I mean, that was really helpful. Thanks, I appreciate that. You go, okay, well, uh, if I give you a little bit more, now I need more. Okay, well, I, I guess I can do that for you. And what ends up happening is that nobody ends up full and everybody just gets more and more empty. And that's no way to fill ourselves up in our own cup. Because that person's simply not enough to fill us up. Only God can do that. So we get trapped in a cycle that only ends in tears. And, and the final danger that happens is because these previous things don't fill us up, we try and love people, but we have nothing to give, right? We, we pour out and we go, oh man, I'm going to do this church thing and that's going to be great. And oh great, then my family needs something. Okay, and then my spouse and that's great. And then ah, I'm empty. I'm empty. And when we try to give on empty, Parker Palmer describes it like this. He says, when I give something I do not possess, I give a false and dangerous gift. A gift that looks like love, but in reality is loveless. A gift given more for my need to prove myself than from the other's need to be cared for. One sign that I'm violating my own nature in the name of nobility is a condition called burnout. Though usually regarded as the result of trying to give too much, burnout, in my experience, results from trying to give what I do not possess. The ultimate in giving too little. Burnout is a state of emptiness to be sure, but it does not result from giving all I have. It merely reveals the nothingness from which I was trying to give in the first place. So when scripture talks about self-love, it's talking about extending the flourishing I want for myself to those around me. And it's talking about receiving God's love in a deep, transformative, and satisfying way. Because God's love is really the only thing that truly fills us. All of us are tempted to try to generate a love in ourselves outside of God because at our core, we all, in one way or another, want to be God rather than follow Him. So we have some definitions we've talked about. We've talked about some of the dangers that can come up as we engage in self-love, some misunderstandings. And finally, how do we engage in a refilling process of loving ourselves? It's normal and natural as we try to love God and people that we pour out. And it's normal and natural to go, man, I need to be refilled. Those are all normal and good things. But the methods of just trying to conjure that up in ourselves or take that from others will not leave us satisfied. They will just leave us empty. So the way that scripture shows us 
that we are designed to be refilled is through four different things. And I'm sure there's more, like I said, I have a lot to learn about this, but this is what I've seen this far, and, I, and this could probably be its whole own series. The first thing I see is limits. There's this incredible story um, where there's a storm going on and Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. The disciples are freaking out. And so they wake him up to calm the storm. And Jesus goes, man, you guys, like, where is your faith? And then he just shuts that storm right down. And what strikes me so deeply about that is that Jesus was napping because he was tired, because he was a person. And he was able to nap in the midst of this chaos that was literally freaking out everyone in his life. And what that shows me is that Jesus was just like, hey, I'm at my limit. The Father can handle the storm. I need to take a nap. I, there's a storm going on. There's always a storm going on. I need some rest. And I just trust that the Father is going to figure this out. God is limitless. And we are not. And when we try to live beyond our limits, we're trying to be God. And we're not. And when we live within our limits, we don't give something we do not possess. We go, oh, that's enough. I don't have anything else. And so I need to stop and refill. Next is Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath is uh, the first day of human creation. In Genesis 2, 1 through 3, it says this, Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work he had done in creation. Now, a cool thing about that, like I said, is humans were made on day six. So mankind's first day of existence was resting with God. And they were designed, we were designed to work from rest and not for it. And Jesus models this beautifully. Jesus kept the Sabbath perfectly. And there are multiple times in scripture we see Jesus' Sabbath interrupted by someone in need. And rather than denying that person, Jesus is able to lovingly meet them and then continue resting in the Father. And he just has this rhythm of life where every Sabbath he's reminding himself, I'm a human being, I'm God's, I'm his beloved, I'm his kid, and he loves me, and, I'm an, and that's enough. That's where my identity rests. And if you aren't keeping a Sabbath, I'll just tell you for me, I really struggle with workaholism, and this one practice transformed my life. It's, there's a reason it's one of the Ten Commandments. And if you're interested in more, please message us and we'll connect on that. The third thing I see scripture showing us how to refill is in community. We see Jesus not just getting his cup filled by God's love. We see Jesus getting his needs met and cup filled by other people too. Check this out in Luke 8. It says, After this, Jesus traveled from one city and village to another. He spread the good news about God's kingdom. The twelve apostles were with him. Also, some women were with him. They had been cured from evil spirits and various illnesses. These women were Mary, also called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. There was Joanna, whose husband was Chusa, who was Herod's administrator. There was Susanna and many other women. And they provided financial support for Jesus and his disciples. We see Jesus on mission doing God's work. And the, the only reason, have you ever wondered, like, if Jesus was homeless and had no job, like, how did he afford to, like, eat? It's because of these women. <laughs> these women are supporting him with their means. 
And we see both here and then when Jesus takes James and John and Peter to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has real actual needs. And both an actionable, and he needs both actionable and emotional support. And we see even God incarnate looking to his community for help to receive from those around him. Jesus was refilled both by God and by other people. And that is a model for us as well. Both solitude with God and community with others are essential to a love of self. And then the final thing is this. We have to have a balance of our being with God and our doing for God. There's a, a scripture that, uh, in Matthew where uh, Jesus says that not everyone that served me and cast out demons and calls me by my name will enter the kingdom of heaven. And they'll go, Lord, you know, what happened? We did all these amazing things for you. And we did all this ministry. And I'll just say, I never knew you. I never knew you. And one of the things that's so important to see in that is God wants to know you more than he wants to use you. And it's so important as we fulfill these great commandments that number one stays number one. That we know God and he knows us. And from that place, we give to others and are used by him. And so this has been a big thing for me. And this is a question I ask myself regularly. And I've even been asking myself this week, is my time being with God alone sufficient to sustain my doing for him? Am I getting alone with God in the quiet place and silence and scripture and prayer and just going, Lord, remind me that you love me again. Remind me that I need you. Lord, refill me with your grace. When we try and fill ourselves or get others to fill our cup, we end up empty and alone. But when our love of self is an overflow of God's love for us, we are deeply transformed and our life becomes a gift to those around us because a glass can only spill what it contains. As Kathy began to do the things we just talked about, she began to deeply receive God's love for her. And she started to see that no one but Christ alone is perfect. And she didn't need to be a perfectionist anymore and that God's grace extended to her. She confessed to her husband, Derek, that she was so hard on him because she was even harder on herself. But what she had expected of herself was not what God expected of her. From that point on, their marriage began to flourish as she began to receive God's grace for her. Daniel realized he was hoping to get from other people, what he could only get from God. And he committed to a daily time of silence and prayer and scripture reading in order to allow God to fill up his cup. And that caused his friendships to begin to flourish as his friends felt a, an invisible weight and expectation lifted from them, like they needed to do something they couldn't really do for Daniel. Courtney saw that in her desperateness for her value and worth, she was working for something that God was offering to her for free in the Sabbath. She did not need to prove herself in order to receive the value she'd been longing for. And this softened her and she realized that she'd been neglectful of her relationship. Even though she and her boyfriend had broken up, she resolved not to make the same mistake again and to apologize to him for seeking her value and work and neglecting their relationship. She began weekly observing the Sabbath and just sitting in silence asking God, Lord, I just pray you'd let me feel your love for me today. And that changed everything. And as Josh allowed himself to feel God's love for him, it gave him access to his other emotions. And he and his daughter began to repair 
their relationship after many, many, many years of disconnection. What about you? Where are you at this morning? If a glass can only spill what it contains, what is in your cup today? And which of those action steps is next for you? Do you need to embrace your limits, observe the Sabbath, engage in community, or balance your being and doing for God with a daily connection time with Him? The great commandments are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. God alone can fill us with the love of self that allows us to truly love our neighbors. And when we allow God to fill our cup, it transforms us from the inside out. Some of us this morning have been looking for that fulfilling love, but we have been looking in the wrong places. We've, been, we've battled addiction. We've had so many friendships crash and burn. We've been through multiple romantic relationships, and we just realize there's still something missing. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know what's missing is Jesus. That ache in your soul that longs to be valuable and worth something and important and that longs to hear from somebody. It's not just that you exist. It's so very good that you exist. That space in you was made to be met by God. And he is extending an invitation to you this morning through the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, he put all of our sinfulness that separate us from God to death. And he closed the gap and gave us access to life and life to the full in himself. And I want to invite you into that today. So would you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning just confessing that so often we want to be you instead of follow you. Lord, that we want to be limitless. We want to have a self-generated love that is constantly refilling so we can keep pouring out and never have to stop. And Lord, that we want to be in control and not feel weak and not feel empty. And Lord, we just surrender that to you. And we just acknowledge that only you can truly satisfy and that our love of self is truly whole and healthy when it's an extension of our love for you because you love us. We receive that love today, Lord, and we receive Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And we ask, Lord, that you would fill our cups so that as we pour out, we're pouring you out onto the world and onto our neighbor. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed with me, I just want to invite you to please message us on Facebook or on YouTube so we can help you take your next step as we seek to be people who live like a good neighbor.